Hello, lovers. Hey. Welcome to Love and a Romance Podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caitlin. And this is Feel the Love Friday. And today we have a very special guest who is going to talk to us about AI-generated romance novels. Yes. Very, very exciting. Before we get into that, let's chat about what we read this week. I'm really excited for our interview, and it is pretty lengthy, so I'm going to speed this up, (laughs) even though I wish I could talk about these books forever. Okay, I read two amazing books this week. The first one is called Broken French. It's from by Natasha Boyd. Sometimes I've seen it as Tasha Boyd, so I think she goes by both. It's a male-female contemporary romance. (sighs) (laughs) Sorry, I just, I love this romance. It's a, it's not the type of trope I initially would have gone for. It's a widowed billionaire single dad romance, and it's also a employer nanny trope. So like all that right there is like not usually my bag, but I downloaded a sample and just fell in love with it. It's super slow burn. It's 500 pages. So when I say slow burn, like you will be waiting. So like Mariana Zapata slow burn? No, 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 no. It does get very, very steamy. The payoff is great. It's just, it takes a while to get there. It's a dual point of view, mostly from the female main character. So we have Josephine, who goes by Josie, and Xavier. And not only is he a single widowed dad, he is also a French billionaire. So this novel takes place mostly on a yacht in the south of France, like in the Mediterranean. Casual. I don't know if the author has visited that area but I felt like I was on a yacht in the Mediterranean (laughs) like it was beautiful so the whole backstory is that Josie is actually an architect she has been an architect I think for like eight to ten years she's really good at her job she has gone to all of her schooling she works for an architectural firm where she's been hoping to get promoted and she actually works for a bunch of misogynists though that decide to promote a newer guy who's related to one of the owners. So there's a a lot of nepotism going on there in lieu of her. So this other guy gets promoted. They also tell her something along the lines of how she should stay on because she's so pretty for the clients. Anyway, she's like, fuck these guys, quits her job on the spot and gets out of there. How she comes to be Xavier's nanny is that her roommate, Tabitha, actually runs a a very high-end nanny and au pair service. And Xavier, our male character, our French father, has a last-minute request to get a nanny to go on the yacht with them for this six- to eight-week journey. And Josie doesn't really have much going on else in her life because she just quit her job. The pay is really decent, and she figures, hey, I can take these six to eight weeks, do this job, send out resumes during that time. That's perfect, even though she's never nannied anyone before. The daughter is 10 years old, and she's actually a delight. And she finds herself on this yacht. Turns out she didn't know it was a yacht and she hates boats. So that's a whole experience for her. And she meets this guy, this Xavier, the dad, and he is immediately really standoffish with her. He's definitely a grump. He's very closed off. He lost his wife two years ago. He kind of wants nothing to do with her. And initially, he actually tells her, hey, I know you're attracted to me, but you need to shut that down because too many people and women have come along that, you know, hang out with my daughter as a way to get to me. He's like apparently very famous in France for his like, sort of what he does for work as, a, as a, like a tech inventor and things like that. And she is like, excuse me, I don't even know who you are. 
and I've never Googled you and fuck you, I quit. <laughs> um, and so she ends up not quitting, but you know, he definitely wrote her off at the beginning. And so there's definitely some misjudgments going on. There is a lot of drama when they finally do get together and you know, whether she's going to go back to the States or not. It was very, very good. Like I said, it does get very steamy. A lot of great side characters on the yacht as well. They have sort of a small crew of folks that they're with. And yeah, I just have not read something like that before because it's not usually the trope I go for. And I mean, you gotta love a hero who whispers French words in your ear during sex. Oh, it sounds amazing. Yeah, it was really good. I want to read it. I want to read more by this author. I did not know she existed. Before I get to my other book, do you want to talk about what you read this week? Sure. So another book, new release by podcast favorite Heather Gare. Her third book in the Tooth and Claw series is called Once Bitten. It came out this week. I think I just read it the day it came out and finished yeah, it. Yeah, I I was waiting for this one. I, okay, I actually I didn't, haven't read it yet. But. I didn't. I don't even think we included it on our to be released because I no, didn't yeah, realize it was yeah, coming. Yeah. But it came out. I read it literally that night, and then I had to reread one of her other novels the next day because <laughs> I was so I remembered how much I liked the series. But this is about Max and Jules. Max is a werewolf, sh- or sorry, a wolf shifter, and Jules is a skin locked human, which means she doesn't shift. And um, they meet in this little town, and then you guys, I was not expecting the twist in this book. Have you read it yet? No, I haven't. Okay, I'm not going to say what it is, but there's a big twist, and I was like, holy shit, I did not think that's what this book was about, but it's so fucking good. Really? It's I've heard really, good. really, really good things about it. I mean, it's Heather Gare. Like, yeah, I've loved everything I've read of She hers. doesn't write bad things. No, and her, I, I was just, like, thinking about it as I was reading it. Her pacing is so good. It's just it constantly, you're just, like, always drawn into it and constantly kept, you know, excited and interested, so, which is why I read it in one night, but very, very good. Well, I'll put it on my TBR for this week. Yeah. Okay, one more quick mention of the other book I read. It was actually a reread for me for something I read a long time ago. So this book is called Wrong. It's by Stella Reese. Have you ever read anything by Stella Reese? I think I've read this book. Is this this... when they start out and she's on the couch? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I've read this. You have read this. Okay. Stella Reese actually writes uh, really good contemporary romance, very steamy. I think her more famous series is called The Irresistible Series, and I've read a few books there, including a book called Reckless, which is very popular. This is not part of that series, though. This is a steamy, adult-aged, forbidden stepbrother romance. So the male and female heroine and hero are adults. It's not doesn't really take place in high school at all. Is it weird that now that I've read so many romance novels, I don't think step-siblings are a forbidden romance anymore? I mean... Because in reality, I'd probably think it was really fucking weird. But whenever I've, I'm like, oh, it's not forbidden. You're not really... You're I think the related. word forbidden is used here as like a a plot device like they keep their relationship secret for a lot of reasons yes they do but this book actually was not very highly rated compared to others and it's probably because how it starts out so this book starts when their relationship becomes physical yeah and you sort of learn about their backstory and the whole story is about how they deal with it and how they do have to keep it secret and why i loved this book i love this book it's it does start out extremely hot and like you know sex right away and very steamy but then it really gets into the emotional things a lot of backstory from both families a trigger warning for sort of i guess you would call it sexual abuse of a minor like from her past and and yeah, I mean, yeah, it is super hot, but they really explore more of what the characters are. This book also offers you, if, if you're someone who likes an alpha possessive hero 
who, you know, is the kind of guy that, like, everyone looks at, and he slept with a million women, he's all the player, but he actually has always had eyes for the heroine and could never be with her because he wouldn't be good for her. Like, this is your book. So (laughs) this is for you. This is is for me. That's why I reread it. But, yeah, I didn't know that you read this one. Oh, yeah, I don't remember where I found it, but I read it a couple months ago. And you liked it? Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, it's... It's, it's just, hot. it's very entertaining. It's very entertaining. It's entertaining, but there's actually a bit of drama at the end as well. So, yeah, yeah that's what I read this week. It was a good week. Yeah. Well, I feel like we breezed through that really quickly. What came out this week? So first we have Love on the Brain by Allie Hazelwood. A couple weeks ago, we had our friend Justin on the podcast who read, who's a romance virgin, who read one of Allie's other novels, The Love Hypothesis. So this is a, Love on the Brain is a male-female contemporary, and it came out on august 23rd earlier this week do you want to talk about the other one that came out this week? yeah sure so the other book i flagged that just came out is called a dreadful splendor by br myers it's a male female historical romantic suspense came out also on the 23rd and i'm going to read this book um haven't yet but the way it's been portrayed as is it being sort of a gothic romantic suspense mm-hmm. and I mean, right there, that's kind of enough for me to read yeah. it, even though it's historical, which is not usually my thing. It's an enemies to lovers. There's some spiritualism involved. Yeah, I don't really know much more than that, but it's gotten really good reviews. And then the other book that I'll flag that comes out next week on August 30th is called Pack of Lies. It's from a new series from Charlie Edhara called the Monster Hunt series. It's the first book there. And this is a male-male paranormal romantic suspense. Have you ever heard of this author? Charlie no, Adara. but I'm reading the so apparent- and it sounds great. Yeah, so apparently this is a spinoff series from another series of his, and this whole series is about queer paranormal romance dealing with wolf shifters. I love that. I think the first, I think this is the series that this comes from is actually, the first book is like an FBI agent and a werewolf what? shifter. They're all male-male, I think. And so in this book, Pack of Lies, we have, uh, you know, a missing brother and a retreat manager and someone coming to find their brother. And I think there's like a lot of secrets. And um, oh my god, I love the names some... of his other books: Cry Wolf, The Wolf at the Door, Thrown to the Wolves, <laughs> Wolf in Sheep's Clothing. This is all amazing. And that's why this is Pack of Lies. Yeah. So yeah. this is also something that I'm going to read immediately so when it excited. comes out. And I'm very excited. I hope this is a. I hope this is an author that I'm just going to fall in love with and read his entire catalog. Yeah, this didn't great. know he existed. Yeah. Wow. Good job. Okay. Do you want to lead in to our special guest? Yeah. Who? That was so fast. Okay. So we have an interview coming up with Katie Giro. Katie is a writer and computer scientist who studies human AI collaboration. She's finishing up a PhD in computer science at Columbia University after which she'll start a postdoc fellowship in the Language and Social Computing Group with the Australian Federal Research Agency, CSIRO. Let's turn to our interview now. Welcome, Katie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. A little bit of background for us. Katie and I have been friends for about 15 years. We met in high school, and she is the smartest person that I know. So I'm very grateful (laughs) that she's uh, on the show today and that she's willing to talk about this. Katie, do you want to give a little bit of background on yourself? Yeah. I mean, basically, I've been a writer my whole life, and then I went to grad school for thinking about how technology or AI might like actually learn something from writers. So yeah, I've kind of spent the last five years 
thinking about what is new technology doing when it comes to writing, you know, like how well can computers generate text? How might we get them to generate text better? And what are people doing with computer generated text? Do you want to give us a little bit of background on AI or computer generated writing and why you're here today? Yeah, I mean, this actually started with a conversation I had with a friend of mine who is also in the kind of AI writing space. And I was like, what's, you know, what do we think the first, like, kind of really popular computer generated novel will be? And I was talking to her about how I thought, like, romance was a really good candidate because romance has pretty standard plot lines. Mm. And a lot of these programs, like, they work better when the writing is, like, very structured. And she was saying, oh, I think we're already there. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I believe that, but maybe she knows something I don't. So that's when I got this idea of maybe we should try to generate a romance novel and show it to some romance novel experts. Um, <laughs> since neither Flattered. of us actually yeah. read romance novels, we were like, how would we even know if it was any good? Yeah, I wouldn't call Krista and I experts in this space. <laughs> we're definitely amateur romance readers, but I appreciate that and your confidence in us. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what are we, what are we doing today? What do we have? So basically what I did is I asked you guys to write like a synopsis for a romance novel. And then I tried to generate the first chapter of that novel. And I don't know, it was a little bit trickier than I thought. And we can kind of go into detail, like where I think the computer was like working and not mm -hmm. working. And like exactly how I did this. But basically, I mean, I think we're going to read some. And what I'll be reading is entirely generated by the computer. So I didn't write it. It just started writing and could kind of keep writing forever. And you didn't edit it at all, right? No, I did not edit it. But I did like stop it <laughs> in that like it tends to as it keeps going, like sometimes it'll get repetitive or like write itself into a weird corner. So I would like be like, I think you're done now. <laughs> Is it the type of program where y you can set an end to say like, I want a 100,000 word novel and here you go, computer, write it? Or will it literally just like, how does it tie up, I guess, storylines? And is it that uh, smart to do that? Uh, so it's, it's like really bad at tying up storylines. <laughs> That's one of its big failings. I mean, what people do, so I didn't generate a whole novel. I just generated the first chapter. People who are trying to generate whole novels, and these people are mostly doing it like as proof of concept, not because they really want to read this novel, but people who are doing that, they kind of, they have a bunch of tricks where they might like have the computer first generate an outline and then like feed it like chapter descriptions and say like write a chapter where this happens. So there's kind of in that sense like a lot of hand holding going on. Like if you just said like write a hundred thousand word novel, it could write a hundred thousand words, but they're gonna be really boring <laughs> and just like probably like end with like saying the same sentence over and over again because the program doesn't have the ability to like really know where it's been. Cool. Well, let's. Well, I want to talk a lot more about how this all works and what it means. Um, but why don't we start with the synopsis? I'll read, I'll just read the synopsis that we gave Katie and then she'll follow up with what the computer gave us. So, okay. <laughs> this is as titled by Katie live on love <laughs> <laughs> romantic opposites and on air podcast co-hosts try to find common ground in this debut novel by I am AI. 
As the host of a popular romance novel podcast, Penelope Smith's passion is helping people find their happily ever after. But when the number of her listeners starts flagging, the station insists she spice up her programming by adding an unlikely co-host. Adam Carmichael is a successful family law attorney who only sees relationships at their worst. At the height of his career, but the lowest point in his romantic life, he's on the edge of giving up on both completely when a radio producer friend suggests a way to salvage his potential dating life, co-hosting a romance podcast with a well-known romance enthusiast whose views Adam couldn't disagree with more. That is a long fucking sentence. I told you. I apologize. That's the one that I was trying to work on. (laughs) Opposites in real life and on air, Penelope and Adam must learn to navigate their differences and find common ground. Sparks will fly. The question is whether they'll burn themselves down or snuggle up in front of the fire. Okay, before you do anything else, just props to Caitlin for just coming up with that out of the blue and writing it, you know, setting aside that run-on sentence, but otherwise fantastic <laughs> use of imagination thank very you. quickly thank you thank you okay so katie what did the what did the computer do with that right so yeah let's like first acknowledge this is like really good and interesting and creative and it would be pretty hard to like get a computer to come up with this i actually tried to have the computer come up with synopses and they're not as detailed or interesting as this but basically what i did is i took this and what the ai does is it it basically just like completes text. So you give it something and it'll just keep writing it. So what I wanted it to think was like, this was the synopsis and then the book was going to come next. So I gave it this and then like, I kind of hit enter twice and then I wrote chapter one Hmm. so that it thought like, all right, we're going, (laughs) you know? So it saw the synopsis and then it saw the words chapter one. And then this is what it generated. Penelope. So it's kind of, I think it's like taking the Penelope's point of view. That's what the Penelope, I think, is trying to say. The first time I met Adam Carmichael, I wanted to punch him in the face. (laughs) It was during one of my regular appearances on the morning show at Waning Moon Radio. I'd been doing a segment called The Romance Hour for about a year, and it was one of the few things I loved about my job. I loved talking about books, and I loved helping people find their happily ever afters. But on this particular day, the show's host, Gary, had decided to mix things up. We've got a special guest today, he said, as I sat in the studio waiting to go on air. He's a local attorney, and he's here to talk about a very important issue. I frowned. This didn't sound anything related to my my segment. Gary continued. Adam Carmichael is here to talk about the dangers of dating apps. I groaned inwardly. I knew where this was going. Adam Carmichael was a well-known attorney who specialized in family law. He was also something of a media celebrity, thanks to his many appearances on daytime television, where he liked to offer his expert opinion on relationship issues. In other words, he was a complete and utter jerk. I'd seen him on TV before, and I'd also read a few of his articles in the local paper. He was always spouting off about how dating apps were ruining relationships and how people who used them were destined to end up alone. I had no idea why Gary had invited him on the show, but I knew I didn't want to share the air with him. I'm sorry, Gary, I said, but I'm not sure this is really relevant to my segment. Gary waved off my concerns. I'm sure you'll be able to think of something, he said. Just go with the flow. Before I could say anything else, Adam Carmichael walked into the studio. He was even more handsome in person than he was on TV. He was tall and broad-shouldered, with dark hair and piercing blue eyes. He was wearing a well-tailored suit, and he exuded an air of confidence and success. 
But there was something else about him that set my teeth on edge, something arrogant and presumptuous. He held out his hand to me, and I shook it reluctantly. It's nice to meet you, Penelope, he said. His voice was smooth and deep, and it sent a shiver down my spine. Likewise, I said, gritting my teeth. Gary hurried us into a booth, and I put on my headphones. We'll be right back after this short break, Gary said. And then it's time to talk about the perils of online dating with our special guest, Adam Carmichael. I took a deep breath and tried to calm my nerves. There was no way I was going to let this guy ruin my segment. i just have to be more prepared than he was. When we came back from the break, Gary turned to me. So, Penelope, he said, I understand you're a big fan of online dating. I nodded. I am, I said. I think it's a great way to meet people. Gary turned to Adam. And what do you think, Adam? Are you a fan of online dating? Adam shook his head. I'm not, he said. In fact, I think it's one of the worst things that's ever happened to relationships. I frowned. I'm not sure I understand, I said. Can you explain why you feel that way? Adam leaned back in his chair and crossed his arms. It's simple, he said. When you meet someone online, you have no idea who they really are. You can't see their body language. You can't hear the tone of your voice. You have no way of knowing if they're being truthful with you. I shook my head. I don't think that's necessarily true, I said. I think you can get to know someone pretty well online. Adam laughed. If that's what you believe, then you're even more naive than I thought, he said. I felt my cheeks flush with anger. Who did this guy think he was, coming on my show and insulting me like this? So then the chapter continues. I just want to read a little bit of the beginning of chapter two because chapter two takes Adam's perspective. And I think this is just to indicate like it's doing a good job of like keeping track of the scene, right? It's kind of retelling the same scene from a different perspective. Chapter two, Adam. I've been doing media appearances for years, but I'd never been in a show like this before. Penelope Smith was everything I despised in a person. She was naive, optimistic, and way too trusting. She saw the best in everyone, and she always assumed the best would happen. In other words, she was a complete and utter idiot. <laughs> I'd seen her on TV before, of course, who hadn't? She was the host of a popular romance novel podcast, and she made regular appearances on daytime talk shows. This might be your future. <laughs> she was... <laughs> She was always spouting off about how love was the most important thing in life and how we should all be looking for our soulmates. It was all very sickening. And yet, for some reason, I couldn't seem to take my eyes off her. She was beautiful, of course. That was impossible to ignore. She had long, curly hair that framed her face and bright blue eyes that seemed to see right through me. But then there was something else about her that was even more attractive something that went beyond her physical appearance. She was passionate. You could see it in the way she spoke, in the way she gestured. She cared deeply about her work, and she was completely dedicated to her listeners. So then it, it keeps going, and it kind of, it has this funny exchange where he talks about how, like, Penelope was much worse in person than he thought. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty good. Wow, that is my, my first reaction as well. <laughs> I don't think if... I wouldn't have known that this was written by a computer if I hadn't been told. Yeah, I, w I mean, well, 
I have a lot of like initial reactions too. I did read this earlier, but some things I yeah, this is my first about, exposure. I knew the first line because you couldn't help. But I share couldn't help but share that. So yeah. Um, first of all, thank you, Katie. That was, you're very good at. You <laughs> yeah, should. Thank you. you should be an audio a, like a book an audio <laughs> audio book narrator. Thank you. It's really good. I think it's interesting. So obviously, you just read it out loud, but if you see the actual words on the page, they're really. I mean, it really looks like the way a romance novel looks. It's got the short declarative sentences then it's got the slightly longer paragraphs they're all like pretty short which i think is common in romance novels because you're moving quickly and you're trying to hold the reader's attention katie can you give us background like how does this work and how do we get here yeah really good question so this uses something that's often called machine learning maybe you've like read about machine learning in the news or something basically the way it works is you show the machine or the computer like a lot of examples of what you want it to do and it kind of learns on its own to replicate that and so for text what this means is you basically have the computer read a lot of text and in particular you do this thing where you try to have it basically like predict the last word in the sentence so you might give it a sentence like she looked deep into his eyes And you kind of remove the word eyes and you have it try to guess the last word. And if it guesses wrong, you like make some modifications. And when it guesses right, you're like, good job. And you move on. Now, the reason why this is really hard is basically like there's a lot of different ways that you can write a sentence that's pretty reasonable. So you can say she looked deep into his eyes, but you might also say she looked deep into his heart. She looked deep into his soul. Like there's no one right answer. So you have to show a computer a lot of text for it to start to learn what are like reasonable ways to finish sentences. And in reality, you don't just like cut off the last word. You like kind of splice it up in a lot of different ways. So you're kind of always having it guess the next word. And that's how it learns. What has happened in the past like five years is basically computing has gotten like big enough that we can make really, really big models and feed them lots and lots of text. So something like this like, really wasn't possible even five years ago. And that was because five years ago, we were maybe showing it like a novel's worth of text. These days, we're showing it like hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of novels worth of text. The models are really big. They can't fit on a single computer. And they often take millions of dollars to train. Like the model that I'm using here to generate this, which is called GPT-3, was produced by a private company. And I think it took, yeah, like on the order of over a million dollars to create the model. So the like scale is just like so much bigger than anything we've ever done before. And I think that's a big contributor to why it can kind of generate this long form text pretty well. Because it seems yeah. so much. So who's using this technology right now? Like, where do we already see this? Because before we had you on the show, I was sort of thinking, wow, this is so new. But you sent me an article to read, and I was, and then it talked about Gmail and the future where it lets you com- auto-complete your sentences. And I was like, oh, this is actually oh, yeah. already being, in, being yeah. used, but you just don't really think about it. So where do we, where do we, like, who's using this technology in these models, and where do we see it in real life already? Yeah, I mean, this idea of, like, finishing your sentence has been around for a long time so like when you're texting right it often shows you like what the next Mm -hmm. word might be and that's basically the exact same technology right they fed that algorithm a lot of text and it kind of learns when you say see you 
and then you know like soon is likely to come next and so it'll like offer you soon so you don't have to type it the same thing the gmail autocomplete is like a slightly fancier version of that where it'll try to finish a whole sentence for you as opposed to just finish a word the other place that this is used i mean it's used in a lot of different places in interesting ways but if you've ever like google searched for something kind of specific like you ask a question and then you end up on this web page that like kind of answers your question that is just like kind of in a weird way just like saying the same thing over and over again I don't know if you've ever experienced this but basically like that's probably a computer generated web page that's just trying to like suck up clicks to earn money on ads with like really niche queries that there's no answer for on the internet going back to you know how you said that this actually works and sort of feeding words to the computer so so it starts to learn how to create its own i mean the synopsis or the synopsis doesn't talk about dating apps but the passages you read focused on that as sort of like something that the characters were talking about i mean where did it get that idea which is very applicable to today's world i mean that kind of shocked me that that was pulled in i also thought it was really meta that the computer generated thing was talking about how computer dating is (laughs) problematic because it's like inauthentic (laughs) that was like really really meta yeah but all the i think i'll just all the extra details that went beyond the synopsis but also like really seemed to just fit perfectly yeah like we know these two people are on opposite ends of the romantic commentary on this show but then to hone in on something like dating apps kind of blew my mind yeah, I mean, that's what I liked about this as well. The way that I'm generating this text is I'm using a method called sampling, which means you can like generate again and again and get something slightly different each time. It's a little bit random and probabilistic. So I actually generated like two other first chapters and they didn't talk about dating apps. So it just happens to be that this one did this thing about dating apps, which I also thought was really interesting and like, also, their argument about it, it sounds kind of legit. Yeah, yeah you know? I really, I really <laughs> bought it. These are legit <laughs> pros and cons. So you can think, like, where in the training data might it have learned that? You know, it's trained on a lot of books, but also a lot of news. So there's definitely a lot of news or people talking on Reddit or Twitter or whatever, other places where it might have scraped text about all kinds of things, including dating apps. So that's kind of where the knowledge comes from. As for why it like put it in this particular chapter, I guess, as you said, like the synopsis doesn't say anything. That's a bit of the kind of cool magic of these things. They're a little bit random. They can go in these kind of unexpected random dimensions. Yeah, it is interesting. When I wrote the synopsis, I really had a clear view. Like I was thinking this is a book that I could write. And then the computer generated that. I was <laughs> like, this is you. not at all what I was going for. It's just like totally different yeah. than what I was envisioning in my head. So I thought that was really cool. What is the, you know, so I'm thinking like romance you mentioned is, it was mentioned to you as being a good starting point. And I do, I do agree with that to an extent. I mean, there are a lot of tropes and frameworks that can kind of easily fit in. But, you know, we wrote a synopsis for contemporary romance, but there's all other types of romance. I mean, would a computer program be able to generate like a historical romance if you feed it enough historical texts or something fantasy where it comes up with a magical world Hmm. that's you know differs from something that's been written before yeah i mean there's this question about how much these algorithms can like come up with something truly new 
that's a really old question in computer science. Like, can a computer be creative? The way that I think computers tend to be creative is in combining existing things in unexpected ways. So it probably does know something about historical romance. And it probably knows something about sci-fi because there's probably a lot of sci-fi in the training data and there's history books maybe in the training data and maybe even like actual history romance um, novels. So it would probably do okay. They do sometimes make like funny mistakes because they have like no, it's not a real person, right? So it doesn't, even though sometimes it can look like it's a real person because it's like behaving, it's like writing things like a real person might write. It doesn't have any actual experience of the world. You know, it's just this thing that's seen a lot of text. For instance, there's this problem, sometimes called the black sheep problem, where if you ask a model like this, like, what color are sheep? Sometimes it'll say that sheep tend to be black. And this is because we don't normally say white sheep. We just assume that when you are talking about a sheep, the sheep is white. Um, But you will sometimes, like, write down black sheep because that's unusual. But if you're a computer that's only ever reading you might say, oh, well, sheep are black because I've never heard anyone talk about a white sheep. <laughs> but that's because we just never talk but about it. But it's also making the connection that black is a color, too. Yeah, like as yeah. a descriptor. Interesting. Yeah. Right. Hmm. So we know where the technology stands now. And I know you mentioned that writers or that researchers are typically using this, testing this as proof of concept, not to actually draft novels that they want to read. But given where the technology is, where it can at least give us a good starting point for a novel, where do you see this going? What are the implications for this? Both in like where we're seeing the technology now and, you know, eventually having like full novels that are written by computers. Yeah. I mean, this was a really interesting experiment for me because it's definitely really good at writing, but it actually wasn't that good at writing a novel. It tended to like go way too fast. I mean, even in this chapter, like if you think about this being like really the first chapter of the novel, like this wouldn't happen in the first chapter. You would want to like do some setup, maybe talk more about Penelope and who she is. It didn't do the thing where like her numbers are low. And every time when I was doing this, I was generating things. I I just couldn't figure out how to get it to like move more slowly. (laughs) So I don't feel like we're super close to like, just getting it to generate a whole novel. The other thing is that there's literally a bound on how much text you can give it before it like can't pay attention to older text. Like you can give it like 500 words, but you can't really give it 1000 words. It like won't fit in its memory effectively. So it's not like you can give it 30,000 words of a novel and then ask it to keep going. You can just give it the last 500 words, you know? And so people who are trying to do this try to like do these little summaries and all this stuff to get around that. I mean, the people who are using this for writing, like it's much more of like a co-writing thing where like you as the author are like writing most of it. And then you're like, I don't really know how to write this scene. And you ask the computer to write like that scene. And are people doing that? And maybe, yeah. Mm -hmm. You might've even read some books where this is happening because no one, Right now, people don't tend to talk about it because it's a little bit uncouth to do it. There are some writers who talk about it, but 
there are definitely more like users of this technology than people who talk about using it. And so it might be that like some scenes or some paragraphs were written by a computer. I don't know if like we're going in the direction of like, I don't know if like in the next 10 years we'll see like a fully, like you just put in the synopsis and it spits out the whole novel. It's sometimes it's hard with technology. You like see kind of steady improvement but at some point it plateaus and it's easy to think like oh the steady improvement will continue forever but historically that's really not the case with technology at some point you hit like a limit of just the way that you're approaching the problem and it's unclear to me if like this approach of like having it read a lot of text is actually going to get us to full novel generation. I could see it being really a really cool technology. I think I said this earlier before we started recording, but you know, if you have a specific trope or you're Kristen and you want to see a scene where they're riding horseback together <laughs> and there's like some, you know, it'd be cool to have a technology where you could say, I want him to be named this and look like this and I want her to be named this and look like this and I want them right. to be riding on horseback together to a party or whatever and like have the AI write a scene or a novel for you that's just for you that you can read, but... Uh, it sounds like we're a long way off from that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really cool and, like, a nice use case, right? As you said, you're like, well, I really like, I don't know, a friends-to-lovers trope, but there's Grovel and he's going to be, I don't know, a motorcycle repairman in Seattle, you know? And it's like, okay, like, I can write you a short story with all those things, like, exactly I feel like this, you listen to our podcast. <laughs> we're both nodding our heads. <laughs> like, yes, we're, we're listening. <laughs> this is fascinating. Uh, did we want to talk a little bit about uh, attempted Yeah, about some of, the of limi- some of the limitations. <laughs> I would love, I know you mentioned offline about some of the limitations of this technology and just in the sense that the computer doesn't have a corporal body and so it doesn't actually know how things work. Do you, and I think you have some examples of uh, misguided yes. writing. So a couple years ago, I did like a hackathon and we were interested in like if it could generate erotica. And so the technology's changed over the last few years. So it's a lot better now, but we were generating these sentences where it just clearly like didn't have an understanding of the real world. Like imagine if like you didn't know anything about the human anatomy, you just read books, right? It's like, that's like sometimes not quite enough. So it would generate these sentences like, and then they spanked me with the butt that they'd (laughs) given me in the shower. And you're like, what? (laughs) Or like, and then they sucked me in like a wet dog. <laughs> You're like, this person has never had sex. Or seen a body. <laughs> or like, and maybe they don't know what a dog is. Um, but it's also kind of beautiful sometimes. Like there's this sentence, I was sure it was a mixture of pleasure and hum. And you're like, that's kind of, that's a very pretty sentence that kind of does something unexpected. There's a sentence where it's like, her clitoris was free. <laughs> Which um, is like very sweet. <laughs> uh, she grabbed her pants and started to lick them. It's just like you're like none of these things are like a priori like totally wrong, but they're they're kind of fun wrong. 
And I actually think like as the technology has gotten better, these kinds of fun mistakes go away because it actually, it's seen much more text. And so it has a better sense of where things should be going. Yeah, there's this one that's like, I can't swallow my cock. So I'll just drink it. You're like, it, you don't make, you're not making any sense. Like, that's a contradiction. Um, and then I did try to like, uh, using like a more contemporary model, generate some sex scenes. And it's a lot better. You're like, okay, it knows where all the parts are. Um, and it, it reads more legit. But it still makes some of these mistakes sometimes. There's this one where... This one isn't as funny, but it's just like a logistical mistake. It says he sucked her nipple harder, his tongue running all over her pussy. You're like, well, that's impossible. <laughs> like, where is the tongue now? Um, and I think like that, the like those mistakes are kind of charming <laughs> in a way. And some artists who like these models, like they want it to make those kinds of charming mistakes because there's. Uh, it's like very interesting yeah. right it's like not something a human would write and that makes it maybe a little bit more exciting than just trying to like mimic what a human that would is, write uh, yeah that's interesting we're definitely <laughs> not there yet let's talk about um something that you and i chatted about before which is the p- potential problem of bias in ai generated writing in that it's based off of algorithms and the inputs that we give them, which also have bias. I think this is especially a problem with romance novels because historically romance novels are very white and very heteronormative. Do you want to talk about some some of the things you've seen and ways that we could potentially get around that? Yeah, I mean, something I noticed just when I was trying to do this, you know, I was trying different ways to prompt it and get it to, like, write something half-decent and just, like, every man that was introduced was like tall with dark hair and piercing blue eyes like all of them and that actually turns up in this one too like adam carmichael was tall broad-shouldered with dark hair and piercing blue eyes and actually i think like penelope also has blue eyes i was like it just wouldn't generate any characters without blue eyes what the hell (laughs) not everyone in the world has blue eyes and that's when you start to think like, well, what if you'd only like read the internet? You know, like what if you'd never met a person? You just have read Reddit and romance novels. Like you have this really narrow view of the world and you're going to start like replicating that narrow view. And I think as a person, you can like make a decision whether or not you want to replicate that view and you want to like fit those stereotypes But there's this really big complaint with these models that if you're just training on text that's like on the internet and is in English, you're getting like a really narrow viewpoint. So like most of the text on the internet is actually written by men because most people on the internet are men. And most people on the internet are actually like Western men and probably straight men. And so no matter how you want to use this model, like for romance novels or for suggesting the completion of email lines or whatever, there's this like big societal bias built into like whose voices end up getting turned into text that can then be in the So can data. you, could you get around that by saying like, oh, I only want to train it on black authors or queer authors like works by these people like obviously that would limit 
the training data that they have. But could you do that if you wanted to get around bias or are there other ways to do that? Yeah. And that's something that people definitely do. There's this thing called fine tuning, which basically means you can like take a big model like this and give it like a little bit of extra text and be like, I really want you to look like this. <laughs> so there's this artist who I really like, Lillian Yvonne Bertram, and she did this with Gwendolyn Brooks' poetry, or actually like all of Gwendolyn Brooks' writing, who Gwendolyn Brooks is a very famous American Black poet. And yeah, she's like able to shift it to like talk more like Gwendolyn Brooks. And like the things it says are like much nicer about Black people than like the baseline model, which doesn't always have the nicest things to say about black people so that's definitely that some people do you can like collect other kinds of data there's this like very funny thing that people do with these models where they'll just say like in the text you give it it might just say like be polite and then like the model is nicer it's <laughs> like because you know probably in the training data like there have been times when someone says be polite and then people like the responses are more polite so there's some little tricks like that I mean the other thing right is like you guys wrote this synopsis and it tried to follow it so that's you have like a pretty in this sense like a pretty heavy hand in what Mm -hmm. it's writing so you could write a different synopsis and you could maybe even like try to give it descriptions of the characters and have it like know that Adam Carmichael is actually like a skinny blonde with brown eyes. So diverse. and it would like <laughs> yeah, I don't. Know. <laughs> I was just starting to think of like the like the opposite. So yeah, there's like ways to get around that, but I think it's kind of like always a problem in machine learning, mm-hmm. which is data is like never really a representation of the real world, right? Like. That's just not how data works. There's like always something missing. There's always some bias. This is like really common in like where computers are used in like police departments. It's like we don't actually have data on crime. We have data on arrests. You never really have data on crime. You never know about the crimes that you don't catch. And that's always going to be a problem. Like it's just a model of the world. It's not the world itself. so poetic. (laughs) this is getting really deep i know like damn cool this is so so interesting Kristen, do you have any other questions no i'm just soaking it all in i think i think this is the most interesting you're the most interesting guest we've had so far katie not to (laughs) to swipe at our last guest i just you know i just think this is something i have not even thought about but you know after talking even just about like the email and when you're in gmail and it's sort of filling your sentences like that is already in our life and I just did not think about it being used or or sought to be used or you know case studied beyond that yeah well it's crazy and I think there's so many potential implications both positive and you know potentially negative that made me a little bit sad reading the original reading the text originally because I was like oh this is actually pretty good Mm -hmm. And as someone who reads a lot of romance novels, I really like reading them because partially because when I find a really good one, I'm like, damn, this author worked really hard and they published something really good and they put their whole heart into it. And then I like go support them, you know, and it's it's this really nice, like full experience. And then I was reading this pretty good first chapter of an AI generated romance. And I was like, wow, this doesn't have any there's nobody behind this that I can like congratulate and feel good about. This is purely it's just a different experience to read something that you know somebody really put work into versus something that is just purely for your enjoyment and that nobody is, like, proud of, you know? 
don't yeah. know. Maybe that doesn't make sense. Who would we tag on Instagram? I know. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking, like, I'm thinking, too, like, what are the copyright implications? Like, who actually owns this? If authors are already using this, what does that mean for their ownership of their work? I think that's not something we're going to get into, but I I do wonder about the legal implications, too. Yeah, and what if you... IP ownership. You start, like, you know, Katie was mentioning how maybe you could have it do a chapter or a scene. Mm -hmm. What if the author, you know, starts there but tweaks it? Like, how does ownership change? Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, I think the, the legal implications are really fascinating, too, down the line. We should have another And also about what you feed it. I mean, yeah, you know, like what is the – what words has it taken in and who are those by to well, generate something? We actually see that those issues come up with music and copyrights in music mm-hmm. because there's a lot of AI-generated or computer-generated beats and music and – that then other artists will sample and use. And that's actually, that's already a question that's been being explored in that space, but I don't know if it is with authorship. Interesting. Yeah. We should probably have an IP attorney on here so we can talk about mm-hmm. that. That's pretty cool. Cool to me. Maybe not to anybody <laughs> yes. else. You should, uh, <laughs> let me let me know what you find. I mean, I think in terms of like, you know, you feel, when you read a novel, you're like, it was really hard for this person to write the novel. And like, I think we're not, I don't feel like we're that close to it being like very independent of a person. Like, as I said, it took me a while to figure out how to generate something this good. And so obviously that was not me like figuring out how to write it well. It was kind of figuring out how to get the computer to do what Mm -hmm. I want. But it's, I think, you know, as I said, you can't just like plop in a synopsis and get 50,000 words out that makes sense we're not there yet and then so that kind of tweaking and hand-holding is the author like making decisions about what they want it to sound like there's this other thing that is like you can read often when you see something computer generated if it's like on twitter or in a newspaper or something it's like a person had to pick that like the computer will generate like infinite Mm -hmm. chapters Mm -hmm. first chapters it'll just like do it forever but what I did is like, I mean, I tried, I just picked the first few, but if I were actually trying to use this for something right, I'd like read some and pick which one I thought was the best or did the kinds of things that I wanted it to do. And so there's still this curation aspect, which if you think about like digital photographers, they might take a thousand photos, but they're also like picking which five to show you. So there's other fields where this like idea of curation is understood as being like a big part of the artistic yeah. process. And I think that's like definitely the case with computer generated stuff yeah. today. Like, yeah, well it's certainly I mean, you're getting human input both from whatever the samples you're using are and whoever's curating right. curating. So yeah, it is it's an interesting question. Then again, like everything that somebody creates now is a combination of everything they've seen before. So it's just not like literally being put into a machine, but I don't know. I mean, actually, the computer's probably read way more novels. Yes, than it is hundred percent true. <laughs> <laughs> but it also like hasn't lived yeah. life. The computer is a romance junkie. Yeah, uh, truly, probably a lot because there are a lot mm. on the internet. That's true. Yeah. Cool. Do you have any final thoughts on this that you want to share with us? I think this has been super interesting. I don't know. I mean, so I. I wanted to show it to you guys because I felt like I wouldn't necessarily be a good judge of it because I don't really read romance. 
And I mean, it was interesting to hear you guys talk at the beginning to say like it like stylistically felt like a romance yeah. novel. Cause I think that was the thing that I didn't like, I don't feel like I could judge. I could just judge that it like read a bit like a story, but I think there's these things that even I was like, like when she says, in other words, he was a complete and utter jerk. I was like, oh, that's yeah. funny. That's like probably a romance yeah. thing. <laughs> well, and I love that then he parallels that and he goes, um, right. in other words, she was a complete and utter idiot. So I was like, it may just be repetitive, but it's actually really funny to have it written yeah. that way in both both spots. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I did think it was pretty true to romance novel form. Well, Although did, it's he did the whole fast. You know, this is physically what she looks like, but I can tell, you know, there's a better part underneath her. It's, you know, seeing the yeah. inside person, that's definitely a, a romance novel. Yeah, I definitely think it's too. I definitely think it's moving too fast, but I could also see, you know, if somebody, a human, were to flesh this out and make it longer and then mm-hmm. make it, like, this could be, it's, it reminds me of, like, The Hating Game, like, how that's mm-hmm. written, which is a very popular romance novel. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's doing a good job for where the technology is at right now. It's doing a far better job than I was expecting. I'll say yeah. That. And again, like you, you saw that Caitlin <laughs> saw this ahead of time, but I did not other than the, really the first couple sentences. So I was blown away. Yeah. I just love the first sentence too. <laughs> it's like so, I mean, it's so good. That's a fir- That's exactly what you want in the first sentence of a romance novel. Like something that's very clean and direct and like. Remind the audience what the first sentence was. Oh, the first time I met Adam Carmichael, I wanted to punch him in the face. <laughs> yeah. I'm. I'm drawn in yeah. immediately. To be fair, though, it's not like that could that could be the first sentence in like a lot of romance novels. Like it's not actually right. that interesting when you think about it. It's a very like standard sounding line, mm-hmm. but it's also very it's something that you would see in a romance novel, yeah. which makes sense because it's kind of they could be kind of formulaic. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a good like approximation of a formulaic romance novel. And that is exactly what we asked you for. So I think it's, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so yeah, much. Thank you so, so much. Um, we are going to try to post the full text of the first two chapters on either website or our social media. We'll, we'll see which where it can fit. Yeah, we'll see where it can fit. Our website is loveandpodcast.com. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, social media. Yeah. But um, I love this. Thank you so much, Katie. Um, anything else you want to tell viewers or share with us? Anything else we should look into? Any work that you're doing that you want to promote also? Oh, my work. I mean, I'm a researcher, so if you want to read some research <laughs> about these topics, you're welcome to. I also write some poetry. It's not very romantic, but I guess you might want to read that too. I mean, I think my general thing is like this, you know, whenever kind of AI or technology comes up in the news, I feel like it's often like really hyped up and it's nice to remember like this technology you know it's trained on things that like people wrote and it has all the problems associated with like if you just read what people wrote Mm -hmm. on the internet and trying to like keep that in mind when you think about where technology is going Mm -hmm. you know it's just a really kind of to me it seems like an important like ai literacy thing is to remember, like, yeah, if it's going to write a romance novel, it's going to say the dude is tall with blue eyes. <laughs> and, like, that's a that's going to happen, like, no matter how this technology mm-hmm. is applied. Yeah. Can only repeat our own biases. Basically, One final yeah. question for you. Katie, mm-hmm. what is your favorite nail polish? 
Ooh. I forgot to prepare uh. this question. I'm sorry. It could be if you don't have a favorite, like a specific yeah, just a general color, color, a general color, or yeah, anything. Yeah, I don't think I'm brand loyal enough <laughs> to have like a named color, um, but I really like like gold nail polish and I actually find it's kind of hard to find a lot of things that say they're gold or kind of just yellow mm-hmm. I got and I want like gold gold I got one for you I'll, I'll, hook, I'll hook you up with a good color yeah sounds great okay. thank you yeah. thank you thanks again and it was great to talk to you and yeah well, yeah thanks for having me chapter. yeah yeah people should um feel free to let me know what you think <laughs> yeah we'll definitely pass on any comments if you have comments for Katie um you can DM us on our social media, love and underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Or you can reach out via email at hello at loveandpodcast.com. Yep. We'll, we'll pass on any questions you have for Katie and we'll try to follow up. Uh, and I think that's all we have for today, right? Yes. So thank you so much for listening. Bye, lovers. Go love yourselves. Oh, Sydney, I made-